0: Our scripture reading today is Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious one, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 3. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at the text as much as possible. Philippians chapter 3. Before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, glory and honor and praise and adoration belong to you and to you alone. And we are nothing, we are spiritually dry, God, for so many of us, this has been a trying week, and so we come to you broken and thirsty and hungry for your word, and we place ourselves at your feet, and we ask that you would bless us with your spirit, that we would have a, a deeper understanding of your word, but God, even more precious than that, we would have a deeper understanding of you and a greater revelation of who you are, God, that we would see your glory and that we would long Dear God, let us long for the resurrection, and we will see you face to face. Amen. Amen. We had a a father who worked in construction as we were growing up. He owned several construction companies, worked for several others. And he would run the job, the, the the construction projects going on. And so we didn't see him a lot growing up because he was well, he worked in construction, so he was gone all the time. But one of the things he would let us do is come to the construction site every now and then. And there were clear rules when you came to his construction sites. Number one, get out of the way. Don't get in anybody's way. Number two, don't get lost. When I'm leaving, I am leaving. Number three, keep your eyes up. You have no idea what's going to be flying through the air. And so don't go walking along, looking at the mud on the ground, trying not to stumble. No, keep your eyes up so you don't hit your head on a beam, so you don't get hit by anything else flying through the air. And Paul is kind of inviting us into this same manner of life. He's saying, keep your eyes up. As you're walking through this Christian faith, keep your eyes up. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I might stumble, I might fall. If I, can, if I just look at what's right before me, then I'll be fine. But Paul is inviting you to think in a different way. So you can look, and it might keep you from stumbling as you're looking down, but it won't keep you from destruction. There's only one thing that can keep you from destruction, and that is Christ. And Paul is inviting us to fix our eyes upon him and his resurrection. And so, well, what we, what's the main point of our text then? Well, what should we do with this? Well, let's walk with your eyes up. Walk with your eyes up. And so in verse 17, we're going to be looking at our eyes upon us. How does this Paul pointing to us in this Christian faith? How is he encouraging us to live together in light to of the resurrection? Verses 18 and 19, well, keep your eyes on them as well. Use them as an example. And then finally and most gloriously, verses 20 and 21, we have our eyes upon Christ. So, beloved, walk with your eyes up. Keep your eyes fixed upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ so Paul explains this in several ways. He's going to say, you will follow us as we follow the resurrection. Don't be like them, but adore Christ, who will transform your bodies into a glorious body. So that's where we're going. Let's, let's jump in. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, what's, what's happening? It's been several weeks that we've been away from Philippians. What's happening here in our text? That Paul would be inviting us to join him in this example that he has. Well, it's starting up in the beginning of verse 3. He says he's inviting us to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, is he not? And to watch out for those who might make you stumble, who are secure in their own fleshly abilities. They have blessings of God, but they're not using them as blessings of God. They're, They're somehow using their own capabilities as a means of righteousness. As though they will be accepted by God by their own works. And so Paul says, yeah, if you want to play that game, sure, I can play that game. I'm circumcised, eighth day, got that one. Of the people of God, well, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, yep. Hebrew of Hebrews, oh, as to the law, you know what I was? I was a Pharisee. How about zeal? You got zeal, I got zeal too. I persecuted the church. I was the epitome of it all. I was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. As to righteousness under the law, under the law, I was blameless. But do you know what Paul says? I consider it all to be rubbish. I consider it all to be nothing. To be passed away. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do you see how sweet this is to Paul? Because of the surpassing value, the worth of knowing Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's putting all of it aside, all the cultural markers, all the status, anything he can have. He's putting it all aside because of this sweetness and the value and the worth of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. Is he that sweet to you? Does he mean that much to you? So, this way of Paul. Seeing Jesus Christ and his understanding is, is the idea out of which our text will flow down. So it's not just that Jesus is his, was popular years ago, it's that he's his homeboy and that he's just hanging out with him. Or he's just the one who saves him from his sin. His sin. But, but now Paul is saying, I know his power through the resurrection. So I'm happy to be with him in his sufferings and in his death. I'm happy to do that because I know that I will be like him in his resurrection. So as Paul is calling all of us to come and to keep our eyes up and to see Jesus Christ. Not just as the one who suffered on the the cross. Did he do that? Absolutely. Was it necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. But don't just see him as that. Don't just see him as the man who healed the lame. Or the one who went out, left the 99 to get the sheep that had gone astray. Is that him? Yes, it is. But Paul is inviting us to see Christ who is lifted up, as you see in Acts 1. Who is lifted up on a cloud and taken out of their sight. Or as Paul writes it the Ephesians. That is, it is this Christ who is seated with Him, with Christ, or with, with the, five of the Heavenly Father, at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the next. And He put all things under His feet, God put all things under His feet, and gave Him as a head over all things to His church, which is His body. The fullness of him who feels all in all. So it's this delightful focus on the resurrection that Paul is in telling them to come and imitate me. Imitate me. Brothers, join in imitating me. Now we hear that. And of course we think, how arrogant could you be? Really? Right and and to be honest, if you, if you have a pastor who comes up here and says imitate me, it should probably be his last time up front in the pulpit. But Paul even says this elsewhere. I might give a little bit of clarification. He says in First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. Now in the West, we like to fashion ourselves as critical thinkers. We don't learn much to actually think critically about, but we like to consider ourselves critical thinkers. But in the Hebraic culture, you learn through imitation. You learn the Torah from the time you're two, from the time you're three, reciting, reciting, imitating, imitating, imitating the Torah, reciting it, reciting over and over and over again. You write it down over and over and over again. There's a game, the, the, the rabbis would actually play with their more advanced students. Do you know what they would do? They, it was called the, uh, the Shah's Polak. Hebrew, the, the, the rabbi would take a pin, put it through a word on the page. The industrious student will tell him the word that it pierces on the opposite side of the page. And they would go, page upon page upon page upon page upon page. They learned through imitation. So the question for them wasn't, am I going to imitate someone? No, they're wondering, who am I going to imitate? And they realize it better than we do. We think we're free. We think we're not going to be slaves to anybody. No, we imitate people all the time. They're actually honest about it. So Paul is telling them, be an imitator of me. Just as I am of Christ. So Paul is telling them to imitate him. And it's to the degree to which he might vary away from Christ in the resurrection. Well, yes, then don't follow him to to that degree. But he's brought in other men to say, follow them. Follow them. He's talked. He's brought up Timothy. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy and his proven worth. How is a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel? And even says about himself, he says, As is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be at all ashamed. That with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Follow me. Imitate me that you might see Christ. He uses Epaphras as another example. Now, maybe he might not have done as much as Timothy and as Paul, but he was considered a a fellow soldier and servant and minister to his needs. And he was even willing to risk his own life for the sake of the gospel. So what does that look like in in our own lives? Well, the command is the same. To keep your eyes upon those who walk according to this example of, of Christ in the apostles. And we are filled with the same spirit that they are. So Paul could just as very well say, be parents like Jonah and Eden. Work tirelessly for the kingdom, like Kevin and Emily. Store up the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against Him, like the Ashmore family. I'm I'm going to commend you. I don't want to do this. I'm going to commend you. We were talking, some guys were together, we were saying, we're trying to memorize the book, we're fledgling through, or like scra- groveling our way to the end of chapter one, very meekly, Sexes. Yeah, I get it done. <laughs> I, got, I got it all memorized. We want to commend men like him. Walk like that. Share the gospel like Jake and Royce and Joe. Have patience and wisdom. Like Dennis and Brenda. Who see my folly. Very gently, kindly pointed out. Very patient. Or open your home like the Bolds and the Gilberts do. For their community group. Week after week after week. Imitate them. As they live out the fe- the beauty of the resurrection. In their lives. You see the resurrection is not just about Jesus Christ. Going back to God the Father. The resurrection it's, it's like tea steeping in your life. It comes into every aspect of your life. So you're not just a good parent to be a good parent. No, you're a good parent to prepare your children for the resurrection. You work tirelessly for the kingdom because you know in the resurrection you will go home and you will have your true and eternal rest. You store up the word of God in your own heart because you desire to commune with him now as you will on the day of the resurrection. And you share the gospel now because you know that in the resurrection there is only one hope and that is Jesus Christ. Or you have patience and you have wisdom because you want to impart this revelation to God not only in the resurrection but you want to impart that On earth now. Or you open your home. Week after week. And it gets destroyed. And people always leave later than you think they will. But because you want them to know that their true home. Is in the resurrection. When they go to see God face to face. My beloved. I want you to see this. As you walk with your eyes up. The resurrection is not just something that Jesus did. It impacts every aspect of your life and how you live out this Christian life. I want you to see that. Unfortunately this is not always the case when we look around and we see others around us. When we say to follow Zach, to follow Kevin, to follow Dennis, to be like Kevin and Emily, to be like the Bold family. We cannot follow everyone around us. And then go to verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, for many of them, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Note first this tender love that Paul has. And with these true men of God, with these, with these giants, you get the whole package, don't you? He's, he's coming to them tenderly. He's reminding them with tears and with earnestness. But he's also bold and he's also frank and warning them, do not be like these men. And you get the whole thing in these men. These men we are warned about they are not walking according to the example that we have in christ but actually they're walking as enemies of christ they're not embracing the resurrection in their own lives they're seeking the resurrection of christ they're seeking to create it in their own life and when that happens We are reminded that their end is destruction. And Paul is constantly holding before us two different ends, is he not? Salvation and destruction. Resurrection and eternal life or destruction and eternal death. And for Paul to be dead and to remain dead eternally, that is the most dreadful of thoughts. We must not think of it so lightly. So Paul, it's often, it's bringing him to tears, bringing him to tears as he sees other people walking to their own destruction, blindly walking to their own destruction. And it's easy for us to go, oh, but they're enemies of God. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. If they should repent, they should repent. But don't let your heart grow cold to them. Let it break your heart. Weep over them. Seek after them. Don't just warn the, the good, godly Christians about those people. Seek after them. Go after them. Weep for them. If you believe in the resurrection, you know that they have no hope. Run after them. I pray that your heart stays tender. You don't just speak the truth, speak the truth in love, but know that you have this tenderness about you to pursue them, even in their sin. So you see here that Paul is saying that their, their God is their belly. It's just another way of saying of, of self-indulgence. Indulging themselves might be food or, or drugs or sex. They're indulging in that rather than what we just did beautifully. Rather than partaking in Christ. And we are created by God to delight in Him. And we end up doing the complete opposite. Rather than fixating our lives and everything that we have upon Christ and delighting in Him, we fix our eyes upon ourselves and delight in ourselves. And when we are the idol, anything else must be in subjection to that. And we delight ourselves in anything we can find. If it wasn't for an edict of the governor... Come on high, the bars would be filled with people doing this very thing. But if it weren't for Christ working in your hearts, we'd be right there with them. Don't forget that. And so then they also, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. And so easy to even have a a twinge of pride, is it not? When we think of the life that God has saved us from and how dreadful it was, it's often easy to have a twinge of pride when we think of that. But these very things that should bring us shame, they, they end up being our form of glory. And this is not a this is, and this isn't a, a, I've fallen short of the, the cultural standard of Christianity, and so I'm supposed to come and feel guilty at church. No, that's not what we're talking about. I want you to see how this evil switches everything that we have from the resurrection to destruction, Again, we are created to delight in God and to bring glory to God by believing in His Son and reflecting His love and His character as we live it out in our lives. But apart from Christ, we end up doing the complete opposite. And we end up doing shameful things to our own glory. And then we hear that voice in our head That we're in the darkness and we're in the darkness. And what do you do? You do more shameful things that drive you deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness. And my friends, this is the beauty of Jesus Christ. That he doesn't stand outside and tell you to come out of the darkness he plunges himself into the darkness he reveals himself to you he opens up your eyes that though you were blind now you might see and he pulls you out of the darkness out of death out of destruction out of glorying in your own shame to delight in him and glorify him the way you were made to be doing So this is the beauty of Christ. When he does, everything in your heart changes, my friend. Everything changes. So rather than your end being destruction, your true end is the resurrection when Christ comes to you. Rather than your God being self-indulgence, you can delight and you can feast upon Christ. Rather than glorifying yourself through your shameful acts, you can bring glory to the one to whom all glory is due. And you will no longer have your mind set upon earthly things because of this. Go to verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly, wicked, terrible body, to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables even him even to subject all things to himself. What else do you need? What else is going to be your hope? What else do you want? There is no greater hope than this. That your hope and your citizenship, that is, your, 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 your home, your dwelling, your country, the, the place where your heart truly resides is in heaven. So we don't have to be daunted by trials that, that cast these breaker waves over us and we think we're going to drown. We don't have to be overcome in this land either by grief or by the enticing things of this land. We, our comfort brings us to see that our home is in heaven. And we long to be there already. This great and glorious city where God will again dwell with man. This city that is permanent and will not be shaken. It will not be moved. It will endure forever and ever. It's an eternal city whose foundations are built upon Christ himself. You look in Hebrews 1. God himself is the builder and the maker. And right now we are pilgrims passing through this land. Some for a day. Some for 10 years, some for a hundred years. But as we are walking through this land, our eyes and our hearts are above. Our treasures are above, and our affections are above, because there is one in heaven whom we await. The only one that can come down from heaven and to come and redeem his people once and for all. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And when he comes, verse 21, and when he comes, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. In verse 10, Paul said, I want to know him. I want to become like him in his death. But now he's saying, We will become like Him and conformed into His image in the resurrection, which is the plan for all things, is to be conformed into the image of Christ, not just in His death, but in His resurrection and His ascension back to the Father as well. And we will become like Him, even in His glorious body. So what do we do? Well, to be honest, I don't want to leave, leave you with a list of things to do, and chances are you're not going to do them anyways. So rather than, than leaving you with a list of things, I want to leave you with longing for the resurrection of Christ. It is Jesus Christ himself who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We do not have to doubt for a moment that this will happen. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isaiah, the prophets write, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. For the dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to her dead. Paul also writes. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command. With the voice of the archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. And finally, John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, walk with your eyes up and long for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that will come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is, we are your children back in the garden, and it is so easy to be tempted by things of this world rather than to live and to dwell with you. God, let us long to dwell with you. Let us keep our eyes fixed upon your resurrection of all of creation. That we will sing to your glory forever and ever, God. That we will see you face to face. Let us live out that resurrection throughout this week. As we know it will come and it has already come. Amen.